Hey, Michael, guess what? What? The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. You mean they're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice? No way. Today, on the lab report, a little vitamin called B12. Also known as cabalamin. Yeah, you think it feels bad about being the last of the B vitamins? No, it's a vitamin. It doesn't have feelings. Oh, you don't think it's waiting around for a B13? Bingo. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Yeah, so I ended up just putting, bringing some eggnog in. It's in the fridge. Why would you do that? Because it's delicious. It's like a thousand calories I per glass. I like to put it in my coffee. Oh my god. Hello! Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. Oh, whoa. I'm great. How are you, Patty Devers? I'm great today, too, Michael. I'm crushing it. Yeah, you were crushing it all over <laughs> my uh, little intro there. Well, I got excited got about the eggnog. I understand. <laughs> it's understandable. Well, I hope you're doing well. You already, I mean, everyone out there. Right. Uh, welcome to this podcast called The Lab Report, brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about functional medicine, specialty lab testing, and integrative therapeutics. And eggnog, apparently. Yeah, sometimes. If you like eggnog, you should probably go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe to the show. Maybe rate and review, leave us some feedback, some stars, things if, like that. If you don't like eggnog, you can go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can rate, review, you can leave us some stars. <laughs> and if you have feedback, you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. So let's not talk about that you put it in your coffee. Let's just move on. Why? What's so wrong with putting it in my coffee? It's just a little bit of splash, a little flavor. Hmm. Uh, you know, you, you have coffee with eggs in the morning. A lot of people have that wow. for breakfast. So wow. just put it in one drink. You know what I'm saying? Wow. What? It's really interesting logic. Uh, why are you judging me about my eggnog <laughs> I love it. and my coffee? <laughs> I love it. It's delicious. Well, today we're talking about vitamin B12. Yes. And it got me to thinking, first and foremost, you know in the vitamin world, uh-huh. there are water-soluble vitamins, and then there are fat-soluble vitamins. That's right. That's that's right? truth. Yes. And, you know, the fat-soluble vitamins are vitamin A, vitamin D, E, vitamin E, vitamin K. Uh-huh. So then there's all the water-soluble vitamins. Yes. The B vitamins, vitamin C. Like, why is vitamin C the outlier? Like, why isn't... Like, oh, you're, you, I see you know where you're I mean? going. Yeah. What's, what's the naming convention here? Yeah. Well, I assume... Here's here's my really ridiculous assumption. Go ahead. Like they started with the <laughs> they started with the alphabet, right? Uh-huh. When they were discovering these things, uh-huh. and so they started with A, B, and C, and they probably didn't weren't distinguishing fat soluble versus water soluble. Oh. But along the way, I don't know why they did this whole offshoot with the B vitamins. Yeah. I do know what I do know is that we don't have all the B vitamins because. Uh-huh. Originally, there was some that we thought was a B vitamin. Then we discovered, okay, actually not truly a vitamin in the the pure sense of the word. Uh And so those got thrown out. Like, that's why there's no B4. Why don't we just throw vitamin C into B4? Like, why don't we make... I'm with you, man. Like, it's just weird. I'll make some signs. (laughs) I'm down with this. Yeah. Although, it's really going to change a lot of marketing out there. Right. I mean, <laughs> think about all the labels that would have to change yeah. if all of a sudden it's vitamin B4 rather than C. And I think vitamin C from a PR perspective would have a little oh, bit of a beef because now be it'd be like into this category and it's not even the first of the category. Right. It's the fourth. Now, here I go <laughs> personalizing vitamins, but that's what I do. 
But that being said, when we talk about a vitamin, it's really just this organic compound that has biological activity yeah. in our body, made up of little molecules called vitamins. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's called a vitamin. And one of the things that's a sort of distinguishing factor is the body can't make it intrinsically, or mm-hmm. if it can, it makes it at very small levels. So the body that has to be acquired in some way, shape, or form, like in the sense of vitamin D, requires activation from sunlight to, to make mm-hmm. it so, or, or getting it through your diet. So that's the very nature of a vitamin is you can become deficient because your body is insufficient at making it on its own. Right. And so we're talking about B12 specifically, and these are called the cobalamins Mm -hmm. because they have the mineral cobalt as part of their structure. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Why the gong? Oh, that's our enlightenment sound. Anytime uh, something is enlightening and where we've learned something, then that's that's uh, the big, gong. Big fan of cobalt, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so why do we care about vitamin B12? Why do we need it? What does it do? Vitamin B12 has a lot of actions in the body. If you're asking me this question, mm-hmm. you know, naturally I'm going to oh, go into the biochemistry. Here we go. So one of the biggest things I think of with respect to B12 is its involvement in the methylation cycle, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's involved in remethylating homocysteine back to methionine. So you're not having elevations of homocysteine. Mm -hmm. That's a huge thing that B12 does in the body. It has other aspects. There's other pathways that involve B12 as well, but that's a biggie. Yeah, it's helpful in DNA synthesis, which is kind of important. Red blood cells, um, neurologic function. So it's one of those things that's involved in so many different processes in your body. Mm. And um, you just listed off a couple different like sort of physiological processes. I'm wondering how much of those physiological processes at their core are because of its hmm. relationship to the methylation cycle, right? You're talking that's about DNA point. synthesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there we're talking about folate and folate metabolism, yep. and that's heavily responsible for DNA synthesis. You're mm-hmm. talking about uh, what was the other one that you mentioned? Neurological function, mm-hmm. like that's uh, very much related to methylation. methylation. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think you can sort of draw a line between those two, the physiologic and the biochemical processes. Okay, so we know that we need it from our diet right? Or from vitamins, taking supplements. What are the foods that contain B12? What are the things you think about? Meat. <laughs> meat. Yeah. Just meat. I think about meat. Yeah, I think a- I think about a lot of animal products um, yeah. and like liver. Liver is mm. going to be real high in vitamin B12. Um, but, you know, even s- skeletal, mis- skeletal tissues are meats. Um, are going to be higher in B12 as compared to our vegetable foods. Yeah, and you know there are certain bacteria in our microbiome that actually make vitamin B12? Get out of here. Our microbiome doesn't do that. <laughs> it That's does ridiculous. Too. It does Ridiculous too. assertion. So we get it from foods, like Michael just said, meat. <laughs> also, some of the bacteria in your gut, um, which is super important, right? People supplement with vitamin B12. Can I make an aside here? Go ahead. Because I'm thinking about meat and animal products, and I would include eggs in that. That's true. And uh, I just... I. <laughs> I want people to understand that uh, eggs is not dairy. Eggs is a meat product. That's I think, right. I think we get confused because of its location in the grocery store, uh-huh. like in the dairy aisle. Right. And people are like, oh, I got to cut out eggs too. You know, if you're doing eliminating dairy, eggs are not dairy. Well, then what does that make eggnog? Well, it's a combination of both, right? Wow. Because it's eggs and, and dairy. Hence the confusion. <laughs> Either way, vitamin B12 all around. But if we're getting it from our diet, uh-huh. right, and we know that sometimes people don't get enough from their diet. Sure. So that's well, a big if. Right. So what are some of the signs and symptoms that we might look for in someone who might be insufficient in vitamin B12 status? Yeah. And you could maybe make the distinction between what they might present as is whether they're insufficient is deficient. Mm-hmm. They might have more 
overt signs if they're truly deficient than insufficient. Um, maybe that's splitting hairs there. But things I think about are like classically macrocytic anemia. Right. right? That's going right. to be like the big one that you're looking out for. But also things like neurological issues, neurological disorders, psychiatric symptoms, including things like memory loss, depression, confusion, paranoia have been associated with uh, problems around B12, glossitis. Oh, that's pretty, the big one. Everyone thinks about glossitis. Hyperpigmentation of the skin. Do you know hmm, that? I did not. Orthostatic hypotension. Um, and maybe even some impaired immune function, like how well leukocytes can kill bacteria. Uh, wow. That's involved Important. in B12 as well. So, uh, yeah, a lot of things you can be looking out for. There's there's a ton more that are related or might be improved by uh, appropriate B12 or adequate B12 stores, but uh, that that's just a few of the things you yeah. might see in office. And I sort of think about neuropathy and big tongue sure. anemia. I mean, those are the ones that are most common, but all of those are intriguing. Fatigue. Subtle things you wouldn't think about. Fatigue, yeah. for sure, you got to put in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But then the question then becomes, how? How are people deficient or insufficient? And so you think about, okay, so when you eat foods that have vitamin B12 in sure. them, right? Sure. So you have hydrochloric acid that breaks down the food, and then there's something in the yeah, stomach from the lining. parietal cells. Correct. And then there's something that's released called intrinsic factor. And intrinsic factor is what's needed to absorb the B12. So there are patients who are deficient in intrinsic factor, and that's called pernicious anemia. Yeah, and specifically pernicious anemia is actually an autoimmune condition where yeah. the immune system is attacking, destroying uh, the cells that are making the intrinsic factor. Right. And so then you think about as patients get older, they make less and less hydrochloric acid right. or if they're on proton pump inhibitor. I mean, these are other things to consider in someone who's insufficient in their vitamin B12 status. Yeah, so there's a couple things at play, right? There's the hypochlorhydria mm -hmm. that might result in problems around releasing the B12 that is bound to proteins and intracellularly. Um, and then there's also the ability to absorb. So you're talking about how well someone's digesting mm -hmm. with hypochlorhydria, and then you're talking about how well someone is absorbing with problems around intrinsic factor. Right, so you think you could have problems with both of those factors like you just outlined. Then the other concept is, what about patients who are vegetarian or vegan, who aren't getting a lot of meat products? Uh, they're at a high risk for developing some B12 insufficiency and down the road B12 deficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole spectrum of how long it takes to exhaust B12 stores yeah, if long? you're... Well, the general consensus is that it can take, if you're going from a regular, normal, adequate B12 okay. intake, it can take three to five years to exhaust your stores. Hmm. Although that's not to necessarily say that functionally you might have some insufficiencies at a cellular level. So right. I, I would right. make that distinction quite clearly. Yeah, and we make that distinction a lot in functional medicine. Like you can do conventional blood tests for some of these vitamins and they're quote unquote within the normal range, but we both know that normal range from conventional medicine is different than optimal here in functional medicine. So it is a big distinction. Yeah, and you just made the case that we've got these different methods for testing mm -hmm. vitamin B12, and it could very well be the case that somebody can have a normal serum B12 or maybe even a high serum B12 level and that they may not be uh, functionally adequate Whoa. from a B12 perspective. Whoa. And so, like, that's that's pretty crazy. It's important to know. And I'll make one note too that actually I saw a lecture with Dr. Ben Lynch and he mentioned that uh, because bacteria produce vitamin B12 in the gut mm -hmm. um, and we're not distinguishing what type of B12 that we are testing for when we're doing a serum B12, it's possible that seeing normal or high levels of B12 on a blood test might be indicative of something going on on the dysbiosis front, specifically like a, a SIBO or a bacterial overgrowth. That's 
that's fascinating. It's pretty interesting. And then it makes you really question, you know, the conventional testing of B12, which, okay, we know it has its limitations. There's also some some good things about it. But here at Genova... It certainly can identify B12 yeah, deficiency. Of course, of course. But here at Genova, we measure it in a different way. We do functional me- measurements, yeah. which we've talked about. Yeah. Um, we're measuring steps and biochemical pathways that we know require vitamin B12 to make that step process through yeah. so we can gather a bunch of information from various pathways to give us some insight into how well B12 is functioning on a biochemical cellular level. Right. So when I say vitamin B12, what do you think about? Uh, I think about a specific biomarker. Which one? It's called methylmalonic acid. I think it's time for the jingle. You better know a biomarker. You think you know? You think you know your biomarkers? You don't know. You don't know your biomarkers. This is Better Know Biomarkers. Seriously. We sank a lot of money into that one. <laughs> Seriously. We, we really That's went all out for that one. the greatest jingle that you've ever made. I think we still need to pay that band. <laughs> I love that so much. Well, Michael, why don't you help us better know the biomarker methylmalonic acid, or MMA, as we call it? So methylmalonic acid is technically inorganic acid, mm-hmm. and it is a part of a a pathway that converts some of our amino acids ultimately into the direction that they're going towards is succinic acid to be used in the citric acid cycle for energy production. Mm-hmm. So it can sort of fill in some of the gaps in the citric acid cycle. You can break down your amino acids from protein and feed them into the Krebs cycle Thank for God. energy production. Yeah. So that's that's handy. Yeah. Um, but... One of the problems that can arise is one of the last steps in this pathway is heavily B12 dependent. Mm -hmm. So you have all of these amino acids and some fatty acids becoming methylmalonyl-CoA, which then needs to be broken down into succinyl-CoA to enter the Krebs cycle. Yes, and that is the step that is B12 dependent. And so what happens if you have B12 insufficiency cellularly, Mm -hmm. then you can have... a essentially it gets stuck right there, Mm. that methylmalonyl-CoA. And instead, that breaks down into a metabolite called methylmalonic acid. It's sort of like the end stage of that step. So it's sort of like a a runoff valve, right? And so if you start to see higher levels of methylmalonic acid in the urine, it's an indication that there's a need in the cell for vitamin B12 because it's not, this pathway is all jammed up, as one might say. All jammed up? I, I was the one who might say that. Can the, you dumb the, that down for us, Michael? the one person who might say something Jam- like that. It's all jammed up, gummed up the works. But they've also shown that vitamin B12 therapy can lower your MMA levels, which is interesting. Yeah, and it's actually pretty well conventionally understood that methylmalonic acid mm-hmm. is a really great marker for vitamin B12. And actually, the Mayo Clinic even came out uh, at one point and said that this may be a better indicator of vitamin B12 status than serum B12 alone. Great. So order Genova's urinary organic acids, either on the NutriVal, Metabolomics Plus, the metabolic analysis profile, and you'll get to see that biomarker. Yeah. And the thing to know about that, too, is if we're recommending or if we're assessing for B12 on some of our nutritional tests, we're not just looking at methylmalonic acid either. We're looking at tons of other pathways that equally are related to vitamin B12 as well. So you're getting this biochemical footprint understanding of cellular processes that require B12, and we're looking for all the backups in those pathways. You mean like if they're jammed up? That's right. 
Wow. Okay. So if your methylmalonic acid is high, uh-huh. for example, right, and maybe your dietary intake isn't great and you need some B12, the question I have is how much? Like how much do we need every day? Well, I think you're going to find some debate out there. Um, one place you can always start is sort of the dietary guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, whether that's actually optimal for some people is a little bit questionable. But like the dietary guidelines state that people need roughly adults mm-hmm. should get about 2.4 micrograms per day of that, vitamin B12. That doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't seem like a lot. Maybe because it's micrograms, you're like, wow, well, yeah, micrograms. Yeah, a little like, micro, and only like, 2.4. can't even see it. What a beyond Avogadro's number there. Like, like, what's the deal? It doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, but when you think about it, if you're looking at the content of vitamin B12 in certain foods, it's actually not as impressive, unless you're eating something like liver, which is super high in vitamin B12. If you're hmm. just re- eating kind of regular standard American diet, or especially if you're eating vegetarian, vegan, you might have some problems. So, so for example, just pulling from this list that I've got in front of me, um, you know, salmon, that's got 4.8. So if you have salmon, you know, fairly frequently, but that you're not going to have salmon every day, right? Hmm. So like if you have just like beef, uh, that's going to be 1.4 micrograms. And then you've still oh. got to fill in a little bit of extra B12 throughout the day. And that's just, you know, on a daily basis. So, yeah, I guess it is easier to become insufficient in B12. I didn't think about it because you're right, because of micrograms, you think, oh, that's not a lot. But when you can consider how much is in each food, it can really add up to be a deficiency. So what else? What are some other good sources of vitamin B12? <laughs> well, on this list, uh, it says a cheeseburger. What is uh, you got two point one micrograms there? Wait. I like that they distinguished a hamburger <laughs> from a from a cheeseburger. I think that that's really important. They know what we're eating at least, right? The cheeseburger, well, and it says one sandwich too. Like, is a cheeseburger a sandwich? Of course. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it fits the definition. That's it's, right. It's maybe like a subset of the sandwich family, <laughs> perhaps. It's just interesting that they made that distinction. Yeah. Probably because of the cheese. <laughs> but now you could see I'm what sure American cheese <laughs> highly processed American cheese is a great source of vitamin B12 you never know okay well let's just say your diet is not really high in vitamin B12 some people take supplements right and most supplements of vitamin B12 they're usually present as cyanocobalamin yeah which is a form that your body has to convert to the active form of methylcobalamin and then adenosylcobalamin right And that begs the question, too, well, I've heard that there's supplements of methylcobalamin. Why don't I just take that? Hmm. And if you flip back to a recent conversation we had with Mr. Dr. Tom Williams, uh, he actually makes the case that it's not really all that beneficial to be taking a methylcobalamin because what happens is once it hits your GI tract, the methyl group gets stripped off or the body. Actually, I don't even know if it's in the GI tract, but it's in the process of digestion and metabolism. The body strips away that methyl group and then has to reapply it. The body has to essentially do de novo synthesis of methylcobalamin. So uh, you might be spending extra money on this and it, Unless you're doing maybe injections yeah. of uh, methylcobalamin, that might be a little bit more beneficial. You might be by- bypassing some of that. But uh, yeah, it was interesting conversation. Well, then this begs the question, Michael. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if we're saying Is that it the the question? N- no. Oh. Okay. A, just a question. Oh, okay. Not the question of the oh. day. But if your daily recommended allowance, like the basic, is just like two and a half micrograms, sure. right? Clearly probably need a little bit more based on utilization and, you know, energy expenditure. But why 
are the supplements like 500 micrograms or hundreds of micrograms if all we need is really kind of just two and a half or just a couple? It's interesting because some studies have shown that uh, when it comes to intrinsic factor and our ability to really absorb how bioavailable this mm-hmm. B12 is, uh, intrinsic factor becomes saturated at B12 doses greater than about two micrograms. What? So like that, then you're, you would think that you're just wasting a right. bunch of the, well, then what happens? 4,998 micrograms that you're taking. Well, so there is a process that's independent of intrinsic factor where larger doses can be absorbed by passive diffusion. Hmm. So that's possible as well. Okay. Um, and, and so that, that could be one of the reasons why we might see some benefit from these larger doses of vitamin B12. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense then. Here's one other additional bit of information that I think is helpful to mm-hmm. understand, at least from a biochemical physiologic process standpoint okay. as it relates to B12. So there is a protein called transcobalamin. Oh, yeah. Not to be confused with the forms of right. cobalamin that you can supplement, but this is a, a protein that's required for the transportation of B12 as well as cellular uptake and utilization of B12. And so transcobalamin is really, really important. And there is actually a SNP uh, for transcobalamin that can be hugely detrimental to how we can, how we utilize B12. And it's, it's, it's estimated that approximately 20% of the population is homozygous positive wow. for this transcobalamin SNP. So they may have just essentially regular B12 status based on serum B12 levels, but because they're inefficient at cellular uptake and transport of B12, they may have uh, higher needs for B12. So, and that's 20% of the population. That's, so that's something to that's keep intriguing. in mind too. Yeah. yeah. Well, Patty, I think this has been helpful. It has. I've learned a lot actually. Yeah, this has been good. Um, I just have uh, one last thing. Uh, I've got this little, you know, somebody wrote this in. I think this is, uh, I think it's time for a question of the day. Oh gosh. What time is it? What time oh, is it? You know what time it is. You know. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Wait, what time is it? No, seriously, what time is it? I think you know what time it is. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Okay, that's the least offensive. I'll allow it. I will allow it. All right. So here's the question of the day. Okay. I got this patient. I've had this happen a lot. Is this a question from you or from a listener? I'm, I'm not going to disclose that information. Oh, okay. Go so I'm going to protect the privacy of the <laughs> listener or myself. <laughs> so um, the, we come back with some blood labs, do serum B12. Maybe I ordered this. Maybe somebody else ordered it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's high. Okay. And the patient's been taking B12. And they're like, oh, my gosh, we got high levels of, of B12. Like, what do I do? Like, I'm, I'm concerned. I, I tried to look this up on Dr. Google and, like, there are some really bad things, but I, I don't know. I don't know what this means. What does it mean? Hmm. Well, it's a great question. And interestingly about vitamin B12, some of the regulatory bodies like the IOM, Institute of Medicine, mm-hmm. they don't establish an upper limit for vitamin B12 because it's got a very low potential for toxicity, which is interesting. They state that there's really no adverse effects associated with excessive vitamin B12 intake um, from food or supplements. And they, there are actually some intervention trials that support that. Something called the Norvit trial or the HOPE-2 trial. These are, these are trials where they gave upwards of 0.4 milligrams or one milligram for months and years with no 
bad side effects. Yeah. And if you can consider that we're talking about micrograms for the daily recommended intake, to give a milligram per day is yeah. significant. And yeah. they didn't really find any very significant clinical uh, side effects from excessive vitamin B12. Oh. It doesn't mean you should go, you know, taking buckets of it every day, but yeah, it's fairly safe. Yeah, generally well tolerated. Oh, well, I couldn't agree more. Well, that was fun. I think we learned a lot today about vitamin B12. But what I just looked up yeah. is, do you know how much vitamin B12 is in eggnog? No, I don't know. One point one micrograms. <laughs> Delicious. Next time on The Lab Report, Dr. Sandra Scheinbaum. Yeah, we're going to talk about functional medicine health coaching. And we're going to ask her a little something about positive psychology. Hmm. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. All right, societal question here. Oh, no. What? When is the appropriate time to put up the Christmas tree? Ooh, well, it depends who you ask. Well, you know? I'm asking you. I would say Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving. The day after Thanksgiving? Or Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day? The whole family's there. You're not there. busy Why not? enough on Thanksgiving Listen, Day? The whole family's there. The We're not have everyone pitching. How about you wait until the one holiday's over before you start the next holiday? Well, there are people who put their tree up around like Halloween. Oh, I know. Do you like that? When do you put your tree up? The day after Thanksgiving. Oh, great. Here come the angry emails. Send them to patty at gdx.net. <laughs>